Amen. Where would we be without God's grace? Um, be lost in darkness and without hope in this world. And so very grateful for God's grace to us. It comes in so many different ways. And, and one of the gifts of God's grace to us is one another. Um, that, that when we uh, enter into the body of Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're called and, and adopted into a family. And so we often refer to ourselves as the church family. But, you know, when we gather, I love gathering like this. I love Sunday mornings. There's no, there's no good substitute for this, for being together as a large group, singing praise to God and, and hearing from God's Word, learning together in Sunday school, all these things that we do on Sunday morning. I love it. But one of the gifts that God's given us is just this family, this fellowship with one another. And when a family of like 120 people gets together, it's hard to really connect. And so one of the things that we started doing this last fall is we encouraged every adult in our church to be involved in one of our life groups, a, a, home, a, a, home, a group that meets in homes. Um, and, uh, and it's just so good to have that kind of fellowship. There's nothing better than sitting in somebody's living room with like, dessert and and coffee and your Bible open on your lap talking about real life with each other and uh, and so that's uh, that's what the life groups are about we just want people to connect they're going to be groups of about 10 to 12 people we're starting that again now a week from a week from today uh, during the week of June oh, sorry not June it's not June yet is it it's warm today uh, but it's January still January 19th uh, we're going to start those groups again, and there are sign-ups um, all over the place. You can do it online. You can call the office. You can email the office. You can sign up on the insert in your bulletin. You can hand that to somebody. You can sign up on the bulletin boards out there. Lots of different ways, but what we want is we want you to sign up and, and be a part of this because it's valuable. Um, a lot of the things that we're called to do as a church, we can't do in a one-hour and 15-minute worship service. We just can't. And so, so we need this. And so we just encourage you um, to find a group that works for you. There's going to be, there are going to be groups meeting on four different nights. Um, if if childcare is the thing that's like, uh, we would do it, we just don't know what we're going to do with our kids during this time, talk to me and we'll help you figure something out because it's too valuable to miss um, for really any reason. And so um, just encourage everybody again um, to get signed up for that in some way during this week. Um, so, that's, uh, that's the last announcement. There's a lot of announcements today. Um, but now we get to spend some time in, in God's Word. And so we're going to be uh, continuing in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible with you, um, you can go to Mark chapter 7. Again, encourage you, uh, if you have a Bible, to bring one with you. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get one for you. This is, this is God's Word, and we have so much access to it here in our country. We want, we want everybody to have their hands on a copy and not just... Not just uh, to look at it once a week when we're together, but to spend some time in it during the week too. So um, if you do forget one when you come in, by the way, there's a white cart. Uh, two important things back there. One is coffee and the other one is Bibles, and they're right next to each other. Um, and so the Bible is certainly more important than coffee. Um, some of you might argue with me on that, but you're wrong. Um, the Bible is more important than coffee, and it's sitting right next to it. So grab one when you come in. Um, we in Mark chapter 7. Um, I remember when I was in high school hearing about, uh, uh, my major in college even was sociology, but I remember in like high school social studies when we were studying uh, geography and, and different people groups and that kind of thing, I remember hearing about this caste system uh, that had been in place for a long time in the country of India. Remember that there's this one caste of people um, 
that were, uh, that were considered untouchable by everybody else. And so it was something that people were born into and really couldn't escape in any way. And now the Indian government has since, um, relatively recently, um, said that a lot of the practices um, that people had um, regarding these untouchable people, they said those were unconstitutional and not anymore legal. But the reality is that a lot of this kind of understanding amongst the people um, in India still remains, that there are a group of people that are seen by others as relatively untouchable. I read the story, uh, but even there's a few people that have found their way out, you know, and, and kind of um, removed themselves from from that, that, that caste system that just says, hey, this is what your role in life is. It's to clean human waste off of streets, and that's just what you do. That's what your mom did, that's what your grandma did, that's what you do, and that's what your kids are going to do. Now, there's people that have, have certainly found their way out of that. I read a story about one guy named Dr. Sonkar, who actually received a, a Ph.D. in law, was teaching at Delhi University. Um, but but even, even then, all the education that he had, the way that he had escaped kind of his his uh, role or his um, identity as somebody, as a part of the, the untouchable cast. Um, when he, he tells the story of when he went into, relatively recently, into a tea shop uh, to get some tea. And, and the guy served him, the, the owner of the shop served him his tea. And as he was drinking his tea, he asked him a question, asked him which cast he was a part of, and he let him know. When he let him know, the owner informed him that he would be responsible for washing his own cup when he left because he wasn't going to touch it. It would make him impure or unclean or, or something himself, and he just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And uh, so this man, upset that, that with all of the education um, that he had received and all of, the, all of the reforms that had been made, that this, this, this man was still thinking in this way, frustrated that he wasn't getting what he thought were his rights. And so he left a little bit of money on the table for, to cover both his, his tea and also the glass that the tea came in. And he stood up, took his teacup, and threw it against the wall where it shattered, and he walked out. That's one way to respond to... Um, to that kind of thing when people see you as untouchable. Now, most people would not have that kind of reaction. Most people in this cast would just continue to do what they feel like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the only way my life is ever going to be. And so I'll just do whatever they say I'm going to do, and I'll do that, and that's it. They're not even going to ask for anything more than that. In our country, where freedom and equality are greatly valued, and we have a lot of privileges, um, it's hard for us to maybe even put our shoes in the ourselves in the shoes of somebody who would be considered untouchable, somebody who who feels ostracized by everybody else. It's hard for us to understand that. And one of the side effects of living with so much privilege is we can often feel like we're entitled to something. And, and if we're honest, we all have a little bit of that. This kind of well. Don't I deserve this? Don't I deserve better? That's why we get so upset when we pray about something and God doesn't answer our prayer in the way that we want our prayer to be answered. And so, so we might have one of two reactions. We might react kind of like the guy throwing the teacup against the glass. We might act with kind of this defiant, angry, I deserve more than what you're giving me kind of attitude. And we can bring that attitude even before our God, saying, God, don't you get it? Don't you, I deserve more than what you're giving me, God. That's one way to respond to God and to come to Him. Another way to respond is to really, there's almost no response at all. That, that some of us, some people, kind of have this attitude of, of most of the people in that untouchable cast. Well, this is just the way it's going to be. 
It's not going to change. Why even bother God? He's probably got more important things to do anyway. So we usually have one of those two reactions. Last week in Mark chapter 7, we went over uh, Mark chapter 7 verses 1 through 23. We saw Jesus pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because they were elevating their own traditions and rules and kind of putting them on the same plane as the commands of God and actually elevating them over the clear commands of God. So people were having to choose. Do I, do I obey God's commands or do I go along with the traditions and the rules of the elders? Jesus in that told everybody, hey, listen, one important thing that we saw Jesus do in Mark chapter 7 so far is Jesus declared all foods clean. Yeah, that was a very important thing. There was certain foods that people saw as untouchable, and now Jesus said last week, no, you can go ahead and eat those things, because the real problem is not that you didn't wash your hands before you ate. The real problem is not that you're eating bacon. The real problem is that there is evil that lies deep within your heart, and it's spewing out all sorts of ugliness all over the place. So that's where we were last week. Now this week, we're going to see Jesus take a step further. He's going to encounter some people who would have been seen by the Jews as untouchable. Just like they saw certain foods as untouchable, they would have seen certain people as untouchable. Right? And Jesus is going to encounter them. Jesus is going to move into the region of the Gentiles. And he's going to have a couple of encounters. First, we're going to see him encounter a witty woman who is very persistent, yet humble. And we're going to see him encounter a man who is both deaf and has a speech impediment. And as we see him do this, we're going to see that that it's true, that there is no person who is untouchable. you You might feel that a bit even this morning. There is no person who is untouchable. And so we need to come before Jesus, not with a defiant entitlement kind of attitude, nor with an attitude that says, well, I don't deserve anything, so I'm not even going to come to you. But we're going to, I want to be people, and I hope you want to be people, who learn to come to Jesus with humble dependence and with persistent faith as we trust in the, the powerful but personal touch of Jesus. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So open up to Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. If you're able to stand as we read God's Word, please do that. Starting in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from there he arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. 
And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You can be seated. Let's pray. God, uh, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to just hear your word and have it not affect us in any way. So God, would you now just give us clear minds? Would you now give us soft hearts that we might receive uh, your word, that we might learn a bit about who we are and mostly a bit about who you are this morning in such a way that it changes us? In Jesus' name, amen. So the setting, we need to look at the setting because that's very important. And we could, you know, when, when I read through the Gospels or even through other Old Testament stuff, we can very quickly read over those verses that seem kind of introductory that talk about where they are because those places don't mean much to us. By the way, um, these are real places. This really happened. Um, the, the two things that we're looking at today are happening in modern day Lebanon and Syria. Okay, that's kind of where we are geographically. Um, but in this day, here's what they're called. Look at verse 24. It says, And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay? Enters this region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre was a city or a space filled with paganism and uncleanness. Okay? Had a history of paganism, full of paganism at this point yet. And if Jesus would go there, it would not be expected that he went there to love people. And actually, it seems that Jesus' goal wasn't to go there to do ministry. Jesus has been, amongst the Jewish people, everywhere he goes, remember, a crowd shows up. He hardly has room to breathe. And now he's also got Pharisees after him, questioning him, seeking to destroy him. And so it seems that Jesus is actually going away to this region. If you're trying to get away from Jewish people, go hang out with Gentiles for a while, right? That seems to be his philosophy. Because it says here in verse 24, it says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where he was. Yet he could not be hidden. God's got a plan here. And it's not that Jesus would have rest. It's that Jesus is going to open up the door of ministry to the Gentiles. Last week we talked about how this teaching of Jesus that no food is unclean. We'd see that, that teaching continue in the rest of the New Testament. And now we see that Jesus is saying, he's going to say that no person is unclean or untouchable. And we're going to see that teaching intensify throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. We're going to see Jesus' kingdom ministry here briefly expand to some Gentiles. And Mark's audience, remember a lot of Mark's audience in Rome were Gentiles. And this would have been very encouraging to them because they maybe still heard comments of Jewish people who referred to them as dogs. And they're going to see all these Jewish people kind of coming up against and rejecting Jesus. And Jesus goes to this land of the Gentiles and the Gentiles love him. And the Gentiles are like, yeah, that's our team. We're doing pretty good. We're going to be introduced here in a moment to a woman. And we talked a lot about the Pharisees last week because Mark talked a lot about the Pharisees last week. This woman is about as opposite of what the Pharisees would have liked to see Jesus do as possible. This woman had all sorts of things against her. She was a Syrophoenician woman. Okay, That's, that's a, a woman from this pagan land. She lived in a pagan land and was more than likely... Um, a pagan woman, right? An unclean woman. And she was a woman who in that day women were not valued in the way that they ought to have been, right? So she had a couple of things against her, but she also has a great need. 
she's got a daughter possessed by a demon. And so she recognizes that Jesus can do something about this need. She's heard of his fame. And so the big question we have is we're going to get introduced to this woman, at least in my mind, is how is she going to respond to Jesus? I mean, she's a Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenician women know that they, you don't just approach a, a Jewish man, especially somebody with the kind of fame that Jesus had. And so how is she going to respond? Will she be like one of those people who says, I'm just untouchable and that's the way I am. My daughter has a demon. I can't do anything about it. It's just the way it is. And so will she not even come to Jesus at all? No. Will she be the kind of angry, defiant one who comes to Jesus demanding her rights, demanding that he do something for her? We're not going to see that either. We're going to see something very different. Let's look. Verses 25 and 26. It says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. What did she do? She came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. You see that in verse 25? Verse 25, she comes and she falls at Jesus' feet. And in verse 26, she begs Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. She doesn't come making demands of Jesus, but neither does she not come to Jesus. She comes to Jesus with some humble dependence. See that? See how she's coming to Jesus with humble dependence? She's falling down at his feet. She's begging him. She's not demanding things of him. We're going to see the Pharisees do that next week. But she's not demanding things of Jesus. She's just begging him, knowing that if Jesus doesn't do something, nothing's going to change for her. If, Jesus, if it's not for Jesus coming to do something, stuff is just going to stay messed up. And we think about how does this apply to us? Do we come to Jesus with humble dependence? Do we know how dependent we actually are? You know how you know? You know what's a good indicator of whether you think that you're dependent or not? How much do you pray? Do you come regularly before God and just say, God, you know what? <laughs> if you don't come and help me in my marriage, if you don't come and help me with my kids, if you don't come and help me in my job, if you don't come and help me, God, everything's going to unravel and fall apart. I need you, God. I I'm nothing without you. Do we come before him with that kind of dependence? This woman knew. I'm not going to be able to do anything about this demon in my daughter. I can't do it. But, but Jesus can do something. So she comes before Jesus humbly. Not demanding her rights, but, but, but falling at his feet and begging him. I think we can learn something from this woman. Verse 27. Now Jesus' response got to warn you before I even read it. If you know you know about Jesus from even, maybe you haven't even been in church much, but you've gone through the Gospel of Mark and learned a lot about Jesus. Jesus' response in verse 27 might be a little bit shocking. You'd expect from everything we know about Jesus, Jesus, well, somebody's coming before him with humble dependence. Don't you think Jesus ought to respond with love and compassion and gentleness? That's not what we see. Look at verse 27. Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ooh. 
This woman comes before Jesus with a humble request. And Jesus tells her this mini parable. On the one level, we get what he's saying. That's what parables, you can understand it kind of at one level, right? And at one level, you understand if you've got hungry kids and a hungry puppy, you feed the hungry kids first, right? You you don't take the food that you made for your hungry kids and give it to your hungry puppy, right? You give it to the kids first. So we understand the parable at that level, but it is a, a parable. Jesus is not talking about feeding dogs and kids, He's saying that, that in this parable, in this little parable, who are the children? Who are the children in this parable? Well, in this parable, the children are the people of Israel, right? The Jewish people. The bread is Jesus himself and his ministry that he's doing. And then the dogs then are who? The Gentiles. So this woman standing before Jesus making this humble request, Jesus speaks to her in a parable. Now, it sounds really harsh, doesn't it? I need to point out, though, that maybe this kind of softens it at least a little bit. You need to point out uh, a couple of things. One is that Jewish people often referred to Gentiles as dogs. That was kind of common language. But we wouldn't expect, just because the rest of his people did it, we wouldn't expect Jesus to do it. Because we know him better than that. It's not like Jesus is afraid to stand up to his people. Right? We just saw that earlier in chapter 7. He's going against everything, a lot of the things that the Pharisees are standing for. So, so just because a lot of Jewish people refer to Gentiles as dogs, that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to just automatically do that, right? One thing to notice that we wouldn't notice as we read it in Greek, uh, or, or maybe you're reading it in Greek. I'm reading it in English most of the time, and I'm guessing you are too. But in Greek, the, the language it was originally written in, there was a couple different words for dogs. The one that was most often used of Gentiles by Jewish people was very derogatory, and it was kind of the, the word that we would maybe, you know, um, say like a stray mutt, basically, okay? Like a stray mutt scavenging dog that just kind of goes and eats people's garbage and that kind of thing. That's the word that most Jewish people would have used to refer to Gentiles. But the word that Jesus is using here is a much softer word. It's another word for dog, and so it's translated dog. But it, it is referring kind of to more of like a small house pet kind of dog. It wasn't very common in that day. Um, but that's kind of the, that's the word that Jesus is using. The other reason I want you to notice that it's maybe not as harsh as it initially sounds is that notice that Jesus doesn't say the Gentiles don't get anything. He says, let the children be fed first. Let the children be fed first. He's not saying, I'm not going to give anything to the quote-unquote dogs, to the Gentiles. It's just that the children are to be fed first. See, Jesus understands God's plan, that the gospel is, first of all, to go to the Jewish people. We can see that all throughout the rest of Scripture as well. Romans 1.16 kind of lays out the theme for the book of Romans, and that says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, it goes to everyone, but it does say to the Jew first and then to the Greek or Gentile. Okay? God's plan is that, that, that his gospel, God, the, the kingdom ministry of Jesus comes first to, to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus is, is saying here really in verse 27. Now, at this point, the woman could have said, okay, well thanks for your time, Jesus. Right? Thank you. I mean, right, he listened to her and he gave her an answer. That was an answer to her request. That's not what she does. Interestingly, 
remember so far in the book of Mark, when Jesus tells a parable, the people get it. <laughs> Usually not. Do his disciples get it? Usually not. And, and, and I'll, really not at all. And then Jesus has to take them aside and try and explain to them the parable. But we're going to see here, really for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, somebody get one of Jesus' parables. And it's not who we would expect. It's a Syrophoenician Gentile woman who's the first one to really get Jesus' parable. And so she's going to respond to Jesus by kind of speaking within the parable. She uses, Jesus kind of sets this up as a parable, and she continues to talk to him on that level as a parable. I love this woman, she's witty, um, and I like this. Here's what she says. Look at verse 28. But she answered him. Yes, Lord. So she agrees. She understands where Jesus... Like, I, okay, that's a humble response. Yes, Lord. But then what she says is this. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's speaking kind of within the parable, right? Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she says. Because she knows, she's, she's like, Jesus, I understand that I'm not top on the priority list. I'm not coming here demanding that you give me what I ask for. I understand what I, who I am and what I deserve. I understand that. I'm just, I'm just the dog. But here's, here's the deal, Jesus. When, when the crumbs fall off the table and the dogs get them, does that mean any less food for the kids? No. The kids still got their food, right, Jesus? And the dogs just got the crumbs that fell on the floor. Can I at least have the crumbs, Jesus? Love the persistence of this woman. You see that faith that she has? She's coming still humble, but also persistent. And that's a hard thing to do, to be both humble and persistent at the same time. But this woman's doing that, coming before Jesus humbly, but with a persistent faith. Jesus responds in verses 29 and 30, And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and she found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Jesus recognizes the humble dependence of this woman, the persistent faith of this woman. And Jesus' response is to not even, but he doesn't even have to go to her house. That's how powerful Jesus is. Doesn't even have to go to the house. Like, doesn't even ask her for her address. Right? Just, Standing right there, Jesus casts the demon out of her daughter. Doesn't even say that he said any words. Just says, go home, demon will be gone. And that's exactly what happens. So there we see the power of Jesus. A great power, but also a power that is, is coming after and responding to the humble and dependent and persistent faith of somebody we never would have expected it from. Especially the people who are reading Mark's gospel, they wouldn't have expected that from, from her. Right? couple of things we can learn from this one we need to approach jesus with humble dependence and persistent faith we don't come before god making demands saying god i i am your number one priority correct and and I, and I deserve this from you demanding our rights throwing the teacup up against the wall right we don't come before him that way we recognize that that even even if all we get is just a little bit that's more than what we deserve we come before him with persistent faith but I also think we can learn from this that there are people that we would never expect that are going to respond to Jesus with a surprising faith. 
You need to know this as you go out and you're trying to be a witness to other people. There might be a neighbor, a coworker, that one kid at school that you go to school with, right? And you, and you look at them, and you're like, or a family member, whatever it is, you, you look at, at these people and you, you kind of like, this one just seems hopeless. I mean, if anybody's going to accept the gospel, it's probably not going to be this one. I don't think we're going to find faith here. That's what, that's what Jewish people would have thought when Jesus went to Tyre. and like, So Jesus is going to go to the land of Tyre, and there's going to be a Syrophoenician woman who's going to exhibit great faith. Yeah, right. Guess what? There are people that God is calling into himself that you would never expect. And so our... Well, not just with people who you know will be pretty receptive to it, but with people that you wonder, I don't think they're going to respond well at all. You need to be sharing the gospel with all people, right? And now, Jesus is going to continue, and we're going to spend a little less time on this last account, but in verse 31, Jesus moves a little away from that, closer to the region of Israel, closer to the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Remember, we've heard about the Decapolis already one time in Mark. you remember that? We heard about the Decapolis, an a area of ten cities, kind of the metro area, right, um, where uh, Jesus had gone kind of on the borders of that. Um, and remember what he did there in Mark chapter 5? Man with a legion of demons. Jesus met there and Jesus cast the demons out of this man. And this man is sent back basically as a first missionary to the Gentiles. Um, and he goes and he proclaims the word about Jesus to these people. But Jesus didn't go there himself. This is Jesus now going there himself to the Decapolis. Okay? And again, people seek him out. And so look at verse 32. It was the first one he's going to meet. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. So Jesus encounters a very needy man. His friends need to bring him. Okay, They bring him to Jesus, has a hard time speaking. And again, we're going to see humble dependence. They, they ask Jesus, they beg him to lay his hand on him. Jesus could have just said, okay, put his hand on him, you're healed. Right? He wouldn't even have to put his hand on him. He doesn't even have to touch him. He doesn't even have to say words. We just saw that in the last passage. He could have done whatever he wanted to do to heal this man, or he could have not healed him. But now we're going to see a revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus wants us to know who he is, that he's certainly powerful. He can heal somebody from a distance without even speaking a word. We're also going to see Jesus, something we've seen many times already in Mark. Jesus is very personal and compassionate. So there's going to be a pretty unique way in which Jesus does this healing. It might sound strange to us as we first read it. Look at verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately. Stop there for a second. If you have a disability, or maybe you did for a period of time, or maybe you've lived with somebody who has a disability, one thing that you've probably noticed is that you have people looking at you all the time. People just kind of gawk at you and just, just stare. Maybe it's just kids because they're curious, but sometimes it's adults too. If there's something different or unique about you, people just look at you all the time. You're like a spectacle to other people. This man had probably been a spectacle his whole life. Couldn't hear anybody. Couldn't really talk very well. People couldn't understand what he was saying, right? And as Jesus is going to heal this guy, Jesus takes him aside from the crowd. 
for once in his life, this guy's not going to be a spectacle. Jesus is going to take him aside privately, away from the crowd. We're going to see the very, very personal touch of Jesus. Look at what it says in the rest of this verse. Jesus put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Well, that's interesting. Why? If he didn't have to heal the man in that way, why does Jesus heal the man in that way? Well, think about it. How does somebody who is deaf communicate best? Really through sight and through touch, right? They, they see things and then they feel things, right? That's, that's, that's the best way to communicate with somebody who is deaf. So this, would, this seems really strange to us, this putting the finger in the ear and then spitting and touching his tongue. It's like, ooh, I, I don't know what I think about that, right? Seems strange to us, but I don't think it would have seemed that strange to this guy. That's the way that this guy communicated. And Jesus came to him and communicated to him in a way that he understood, in a way that, that, that communicated to him, this man loves me. A very, very personal kind of touch from Jesus to this man. And the result? Look at verses 34 and 35. And looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed, said some words that said, Be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. That's what happens when Jesus shows up, right? You have this guy. His ears were closed. He was deaf. And now this guy who had spent that, whatever, his life or whatever, deaf, for the first time in his life, he hears the sound of voices, the beautiful sound of voices. The breeze that up to this point he had maybe only felt, he could now also hear. It had to be overwhelming to his senses, right? To all of a sudden be taking all this in that he had never even taken in before. Deaf man can hear again. And this man who had been so frustrated probably so many times, he wants to share something with somebody, but he tries. And it's like it just his tongue just doesn't work right. And people don't understand him. And he's been so frustrated at his tongue so many times. And what does it say here? After the touch of Jesus, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. This boy, this man speaks and people understand. How incredible. By the simple, powerful, and personal touch of Jesus. In verses 36 and 37, story concludes like this. It says, And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He's done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Again, Jesus' command is to be silent. Remember that these people probably would want to make Jesus into the Messiah that they wanted him to be and not, not the Messiah that he had come to be. That's why Jesus continually gives this command of silence. Don't share this. These people couldn't help it. They disobey. They start sharing like crazy. The more he tells them not to, the more zealously they proclaim it. Um, maybe, that, maybe we should do that for like encouraging the church to evangelism. Hey, this week, don't go out and share the gospel with anybody. Keep your mouth shut and don't talk about Jesus anywhere and see if that works, right? All, like, all of a sudden, you guys are like going crazy. We got 40 new people in church. Like, I heard about Jesus this week. I want to hear more. That'd be cool. Um, but that's what's happening here. And verse 37 says the people are astonished. And rightly so. I mean, all these miracles that they see Jesus perform, it's right that they should be astonished. 
how do we apply this part of the passage to ourselves? Well, I think we need to know this. We need to know that Jesus communicates His love to us and His compassion for us, His mercy to us in very personal ways, in ways that are going to be meaningful to us. If your idea of Jesus is that He is this cold, distant, far-off deity, then your, your idea of Jesus needs to be corrected, and this is a passage that can correct that. If your idea is that you're untouchable and that Jesus doesn't have time for you and can't deal with your problems or doesn't want to, this passage needs to correct that because that's also false. That's a lie. A lot of ways that, that we can have this apply to us. I think we can also remember that Jesus is able to do powerful things. These people were astonished. What did they say at the end? This man does all things well. They were impressed by what Jesus was accomplishing. He does all things well. But the problem that these people had is they didn't get the whole picture. We're going to see that more over the coming weeks. Over the coming weeks, we are going to hopefully, if you're, if you're, if you're at all attentive, I think over the next couple of weeks you're going to be blown away by Jesus' revelation of who he is. These people don't get that yet. They're just amazed that he can do these miracles. But they don't yet understand who this man really is. When we started this, this series in the Gospel of Mark, I laid out three goals for us. And I'm going to close by just reminding us of those. I want us, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, to be a people who know Jesus' true identity. That's part of why Mark is written. That's why it's given to us. That we would know Jesus' true identity. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who He really is? Do you know of His power and His desire to save and His ability to do it? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you don't, come and talk to me. Do you, the, the, the other goal that we had, the second of the three goals, was not that we would just know Jesus' true identity, but that we would also trust His complete authority. Do you trust in Jesus' complete authority? Is Jesus your Lord, your King? Do you acknowledge that He is that? Do you trust in His complete authority? If not, again, come talk to me about that. Then the last goal is that we would follow Him immediately. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? So come and talk to me. God's Word is not supposed to not affect us in any way. God's Word ultimately and primarily tells us about who God is and how He works. We learn a lot about who God is and how He works just in these two passages. And as we come back over the next couple weeks... Like I said, I, just prepare to be blown away by God's revelation of Himself. Next week, we're, we're starting in chapter 8, verse 1, and we're going all the way down to verse 21, and then the next week, we'll finish up chapter 8. We're starting to move a little quick, more quickly uh, through the Gospel of Mark now.